Today's reading is from Luke chapter 24, 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near, near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. I read a statistic recently that surprised me. It said that, Apparently, 40% of our daily conversations, like with family, with neighbors, colleagues, and so on, 40% of our conversations are made up of storytelling and stories. That's from a BBC podcast where I got that from. It's called Sideways. And last month, there was an episode titled, The Stories That Shape Us. It turns out that, that stories and, and storytelling are not just a form of entertainment, but they're also actually vital to our well-being as, as, as humans. Now, for sure, some stories are, are like about how, how you found 20 bucks in your, in your jacket from last season. Yes! Awesome! What do you do? You tell someone 
It's great. <laughs> um, but you have deep stories as well, not just like anecdotes that are humorous, but you have, you have deep stories. If someone asks you the question, so what's your story? And if you've got like an hour together, and if you know this person, you trust this person really cares, then you tell them something about who you are. You tell them about some of the critical moments in your life that have shaped you to who you are today. Now, that, that kind of story, it turns out, that is where meaning comes from in your life. And when you can look ahead and you can see where your story is going, that's where hope comes from. And our hearts need meaning and hope, like our, our bodies need water and food. Now, what happens when you're going along in life, you know where you're from, and you know where you're going. You, you can see it where you're headed. You have clear meaning. You have hope that you're living with. And then suddenly, something happens that is totally unexpected. There's a sudden loss. There's a, there's a traumatic event. And suddenly, it's a, it's a crisis. And it's, it, it's a crisis of meaning as much as anything. And at that time, we ask questions like, why and how could this happen? It doesn't fit in the story. I thought I knew the story. I thought I knew where this was headed. But I don't know anymore. And meaning fails. And hope fails. And that is a very human place to be. All of us, at some point, find ourselves in that place. Uh, and that's actually where we meet two disciples on the road in the passage that we're looking at. They're on the road to Emmaus. They're walking. And as they walk, they're, they're talking with each other about what has happened. They're in a crisis of meaning, trying to understand what has just happened in Jerusalem, and in fact, what's happened over the whole past years of following Jesus. In a crisis of meaning, that's where, actually, Jesus meets them on the road, this visitor. There's two points this morning I'd like to spend time with you looking at. The first point, Christ has risen, so abandon shallow hope. Abandon shallow hope. Second point, Christ has risen, so embrace deep hope. First point. So they're walking on the road, two disciples of Jesus, and Jerusalem is now behind their backs, and all the other disciples are behind their backs. They're leaving. We're not told why, but it, we can imagine why? It's over. It's all over. Why stay? They're leaving. But they're not just walking, they're having a conversation. Verse 14, they're talking with each other about all these things that happened. They're going over and over what happened and, and trying to answer this why question. Why did this happen? What does it all mean? And it's right then that a visitor joins them. He overtakes them. 
he comes up to them and he asks, what are you both talking about? That's how the conversation begins. The visitor apparently doesn't know what happened to Jesus of Nazareth just a few days ago in Jerusalem. Apparently, he has no idea what happened to Jesus of, of Nazareth. Um, and they, they start describing the events in verse 19. You can see that. You hear the story. You hear their hope in Jesus. He, he was a mighty prophet, mighty in, in deed and word, and they got swept up in the movement, the Jesus movement, and, and its, its climax in Jerusalem. At the Passover in Jerusalem, it was all coming to a head, it was all coming to a climax, and then he was condemned, and then he was executed. And the story is over. It is cut off. What story? What story? We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. But it's a meaningless story. It's a waste of time. The past years of following, it's, it's not even worse than that. There's now a, some conspiracy theory that's going around among the disciples back in Jerusalem that Jesus is alive. And it's all a bit too much to take. They're leaving. They're leaving. They finish talking. They finish telling Jesus all these things. And Jesus looks at them. And he says to them, O foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's an interesting word there, interpret. He interpreted the scriptures. In the ancient world, one of the, one of the real common art forms was the mosaic. They didn't have like acrylic painting and, and that kind of thing, or maybe they did, but it didn't survive to this day. Mosaics, you've seen these before, and they're all over the ancient world and, and ancient archaeology. So with the mosaic, of course, you get, you get thousands of little tiles, um, different color tiles. And when you put together thousands of these, you can make a brilliant work of art that covers like a whole wall or a whole, the whole ceiling or the whole floor, the whole pavement floor. Now, just as an artist will take the tiles and arrange them into a picture, so also somebody interpreting the scriptures can take the verses, and I, I had to look this up. It turns out in the Old Testament, there's over 23,000 verses in the Old Testament scriptures. And someone can take verses like small tiles and arrange them into a picture. They might go to Psalm 2, which has this verse. You, God, you shall break the nations with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. That's a verse. 
Isaiah 43, another one from the, from the prophets. The prophet Isaiah, he talks about God redeeming Israel, which is to liberate them from their enemies, from their political en- enemies. You can gather these verses, a whole lot, a lot of verses together, and you can make a picture, an interpretation. And maybe the picture looks like a, a, a glittering, restored Jerusalem with a wreckage of armies of other, other foreign powers in the open field beside Jerusalem. And it's, Jerusalem is strong, brilliant, dazzling. You can make a picture like, like that from the, from the tiles in, in, in the scriptures. These two disciples had done that. We hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. And when they say that, what they are thinking about is political freedom from Rome, deliverance from the Roman Empire. But Jesus says, Oh, fools. You foolish people. You, basically, you have the wrong picture. You have the wrong interpretation. You combine the tiles in the wrong way. And you've made it into a, into a picture that is not the intended picture. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus rearranges all the tiles in the scriptures to make the true picture, the true story of the scriptures, the true story of what God is doing in the world. And all of it pointing to his work through Jesus, Jesus Christ, the climax in the heart of God's work in the world. That's what it's all pointing to. He's the center of the picture. Now, to bring this home, you might be someone here today who who thinks about the scriptures, or you might not. Either way, you live in a life story. It's a story that is, that is headed towards an ideal future that you can imagine in your mind. You can see it. It's a picture. You hope in it. That's what the two disciples had done. They hoped in, in this, this image of a free Jerusalem, free from Rome. Now, if you put your ultimate hope in any picture, if you, your, your, your ultimate hope that, that is, that is the, the destination of your story that gives you meaning and purpose in your life, if you put your ultimate hope in anything but Jesus Christ, by definition, you're, you're hoping in some created thing, something in the material world, and it might be, be hope in, in like a political cause, political liberation like the disciples. It, 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 might be a, it might be a hope in your career, a hope in your accomplishments, um, in your family, a hope in relationships. It might be a dozen different kind of things, but all those things are in the material world. And so they're vulnerable to change. They're vulnerable to fail. Nothing in this world is guaranteed. And when suffering comes, when trauma comes, it might destroy your hope. It might destroy meaning in your life. 
So the first application here this morning is this. Abandon shallow hope in things of this world. Because what you find in the gospel, the Christian faith is holding out to you a hope that is resilient. It's resilient because it is a hope that is looking at Jesus himself. The scriptures all combine to make a mosaic, to make a picture. At the center of the picture is Jesus Christ himself, and he is standing, risen, victorious. He has defeated, not Rome, he has defeated sin, human sin. He's defeated Satan. He has defeated death itself. And he has the marks of death on his body. He does. But he is standing alive in power and splendor. He is standing. And that picture, that picture is worthy of your hope, your ultimate hope, your weighty hope in your life. So when your hope latches on to Jesus Christ and when suffering comes into your life, It does not destroy your meaning. No, it sends you deeper into the meaning. It sends you deeper into the story of Jesus who entered into every kind of human misery and anguish. Even death itself, he entered into death. And he rose from death on the third day. This is what the Christian faith offers to you. It offers to you a great story. I mean a big story that is far, far grander and bigger than your small story of your life, of your personal life. And you are invited to, to, to enfold your own story into this grand story of Jesus Christ. And what you find then is a secure source of hope. It's a deep hope. Because it's, it's a hope that is, not, that is not ultimately based on your small story and how well it goes or how you perform in your life. It's, it's not based on your performance. It's not based on your circumstances. Your hope, ultimately, as you fold your life into the story of Jesus Christ, and let that story be your, your home. What you find is that your hope is ultimately based in Jesus, looking at that, that picture of Jesus Christ that all the scriptures create, risen, triumphant over death and sin and evil. The second point Christ has risen, so embrace this deep hope. And that is what the disciples on the Emmaus Road uh, do. Eventually, they do. Not right away. On the road, they get to hear Jesus open the scriptures. They're, they're like listening intently. This man has some insight. <laughs> they're listening. Um, the breakthrough moment, though, it doesn't happen on the road. It happens later. They, they arrive at the town. They arrive at Emmaus. They persuade Jesus to, to stay with them. It's getting dark. It's, it's not time to travel anymore. 
So they come to the evening meal, and something happens, something interesting. Suddenly this visitor takes the place of the host at the meal, and he takes the bread, and he blesses the Lord, and he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And at that instant, they know. They recognize, <laughs> they recognize him at that instant. We don't know why. What, um, what, what is it about that moment and, and, and not before? Why is that? We don't know. The text doesn't say. Um, maybe, and this is speculation, maybe they see the nail marks in his hands, which they never noticed walking on the road, but he's holding the bread, and there they are. Maybe. For whatever reason, the timing is right. The Lord opens their eyes, and the next instant, he's gone. Jesus vanishes. And they can't stay in Emmaus, not anymore. They cannot, no. Even, even it, it's nighttime, whatever, they're on their way back to Jerusalem. And they're going back with a new story. It's a redemption story. The BBC podcast I, I mentioned earlier, it defines a redemption story as, as one that has a, a, a difficult or a traumatic event. And through a critical moment later in that person's life, the trial, the trauma, becomes a source of new life and vitality and strength and purpose. And that is what happens here. Earlier on the road, they were talking together. They were, they were trying to find meaning in a story about, about a failed movement and a, a failed leader. Um, and the apparently wasted years of following him. And it's not, it's not really a story at all. It's kind of a pointless story. Um, that's why it's a crisis of meaning for them. But Jesus meets them on the road, and he moves towards them, and he gives them a new story so that their, their pointless story becomes a redemption story. And that is what Jesus will do for you. It's what he'll do for anyone who comes to him. He will take the details of your broken story and he will give you a redemption story. For example, it's baseball season in Toronto right now, isn't it? Um, a, a couple of years ago, one of the starting pitchers for the Toronto Blue Jays was named R.A. Dickey. And everyone knows that he's a star pitcher. He throws a knuckleball. That's really interesting, right? How, what, how does that even work? And we're reading articles and stuff about how that, right? Um, but not everyone knows his story, his life story. He has a YouTube video, and the title of it is Less Than Human because it begins with his experiences of sexual abuse that began uh, when he was eight years old. And the shame and the guilt of those experiences um, led him, drove him even, uh, to find an outlet in sports. 
He says that if, if you worked hard enough, if you executed, if you followed the formula, you'd be rewarded for that. For me, it was a way of escape, validation, identity. So his hope, as, as a successful young athlete, his hope set on becoming a starting pitcher in the major leagues. Which sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a great idea, except what was happening at the same time was that more and more his personal worth was absolutely tied to his performance as an athlete. The 2006 season began full of hope. He was finally drafted by the Texas Rangers. And in his first game in the majors, he set a record for the most home runs given up by a rookie pitcher. Six. Six home runs. The very next day, he was sent straight down to the minors. And it was a crisis of meaning. Overwhelmed by a sense of worthlessness and despair and shame. And he, he did try to end his life. But after his second near-death experience, um, he decided that he had to tell his wife everything. His whole story, the abuse, everything. And what he found was rather than reject him and, and turn away from him, what he, to his surprise, he, f he found that she actually embraced him. And that was the turning point. For the first time in his life, he says, I began to risk things. I began to risk relationship, risk trusting people, risk trusting other men, which I had never done before. And I began to discover that God was in the middle of all of it. And he has designed me for relationship. Now, out of all this was another realization, which is that sexual abuse was not the end of his story. In fact, the very worst thing about his past was the very place that God would show his love in the most powerful way and, and radical acceptance and grace to him. On the road, Jesus asked the disciples, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? It was necessary. It was necessary that, that Jesus' story would go through suffering, and that includes the suffering of sexual abuse, for example. He's stripped naked, and there is no loincloth the way that artists represent the cross. He's naked on the cross nailed to the cross, and people laughed at his nakedness. It was funny to them. But what you see in the gospel is that sexual abuse is not the end. Is this the most important thing about Jesus Christ, that he was sexually abused? Does it define who he is? 
does not define who he is. The most important thing about Jesus Christ is that he is alive, loved by the Father, raised up by the Father. His story, Jesus' story, is not, it is not a sexual shame story. It's a redemption story. And for you who come to Jesus, when you think about your life story, whatever is the worst thing about your story, that is not the end. Not in the gospel. It is not the end. He is alive. He is. And he's here today. He's not far away. He's very close. And whether you call yourself a Christian or not, if you find yourself in a crisis of meaning, or if if you feel like your life simply has no meaning, Jesus is here, and I can say to you, he will give you a redemption story that is filled with meaning and filled with hope, full of deep hope. Because the hope is not in what you can do or achieve. The hope is not in in, in that you can fix what happened or make it different or make it untrue. The hope is in what Jesus has achieved for you. He descended into every kind of human pain and misery so that he might raise up these broken stories and broken people and you and me and raise us into his redemption story. So come to him. Come to him. Let this, let this visitor in your life, let him be your host. Let him host you. Listen to him. Let him be the great storyteller to retell the story of your life. Let him give you that story. Let him, let him give you a story that rhymes with his story. Redemption. The Lord is risen indeed. Let's come to him and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have such a Savior the Lord Jesus, who goes after his, his wandering followers on the road, walking away from everything. And we admit that we are the kind of people who need such a Savior, who goes after us and who retells a story that, that we thought we knew, but but totally misunderstood. He is so good. Our need is great, and we thank you that his his greatness and love is is matched to our need uh, so perfectly and so abundantly. Help us to see him, Father. Help us to see his story, and may we find ourselves in it, uh, playing what part you've given us to play, and looking to him, our hope, our Lord Jesus. Amen.